You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Do you like when you get good news? Yeah? You like it better than bad news, don't you? Okay, so so if we receive good news and and that's kind of what, where we're at this morning. If we receive good news, and we want to share that, right? And so if, if I gave you some good news, would you share it? You, you might, right? Okay, so, so let me give you a couple pieces of good news. Um, the first piece of good news is that our debt on the North Campus is under $400,000. Right, so that, that's a good thing, because that, that means we're rolling along and paying that off, and, and that, it's, it's always hard to be in debt, because you always think about that, and, but that's one of the things that's moving along. The other piece of good news that I have for you this morning is exactly what the choir sang about, is that God has done a great work through Jesus Christ to enable us to have a relationship with Him. Isn't that good? Now, you've been to, to ball games, right? And you've seen how, how they put on the scoreboard, like when they want the folks to cheer, they put on the scoreboard this decibel level, right? You've seen that. I want to tell you that your decibel level between 400,000 and Jesus dying for your sins, there wasn't a lot of difference. But one is better than the other. Because if Jesus comes back today, we don't care about the 400,000, do we? No. Now, I could get real sarcastic here and say, well, some will. But, but, but we don't really care about that. What we care about is our relationship with God. And if God's doing a great work in and among us, then we proclaim it. We want to shout that. I mean, if you look at Facebook at all, you see on Facebook, you see those, those pieces of the snippets of people's lives where it said, look what God is doing, or look what's happening in my family. Isn't this great? And then you, you just kind of hope you go back and you hope somebody has seen it and they're, they're check, doing the little like thing or putting a little heart next to it. And you kind of rate those, say, yeah, I'm glad somebody saw that I was well. Or something went real well. I mean, we, we went out to the, the Caldwell Parade the other day. Awesome. It didn't last long. And it's not a really long parade, but it was fun to be out there. And several of you made it out there and, and enjoyed that. And we put a picture on it. It's like, hey, we're out here. And there were some others that put pictures of it. And we just proclaim what's going on in our lives. Well, if we are really excited about the good news of Jesus Christ, we proclaim that about our lives. We proclaim what God has done in us. And we proclaim what God has done through us. And so, as we look at a scripture passage this morning, we're changing direction a little bit, moving into to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, as we look at this, we're going to learn a couple of things. And so, um, just stay with me in this. We're gonna, we, we need to understand where we're at in the book of Mark and, and some things about it as we discover three prayers. So let's, um, let's right now just pray that God would speak during this hour and that we would not just 
hear him, but we would respond to him. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. God, as simple as the story we're about to read is, God, there are some things that that we could learn and apply to our lives. And if we walk out of here exactly the same as when we came in, then it's kind of a little bit of a waste of time. So, Father, we pray that your voice would be heard and that our ears would be perked up to you, that our heart would be soft enough to to be touched by you and, and what you're doing. And then, Father, out of that, you would give us Uh, this sense of boldness about the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, at the same time, you would give us a sensitivity to those around us, not a sensitivity that keeps us from talking, but God, a sensitivity that helps us to see beyond what the physical, what we can see just by looking at somebody from the outside. And so God, we pray that you would work in this hour and that you would teach us and stretch us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, if you would turn to the, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. We're going we're gonna to park there for a little while. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background. Um, Mark is written by John Mark, and he's really penning this account of Peter in the Gospel. And so what we get is we get Mark's writing of what Peter saw, and, and in that, there's some differences in the Gospel of Mark from the other Gospels. You know, the other Gospels are written for particular purposes. Uh, Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. And so at the very beginning of the book of Matthew, we have the genealogy of Christ. And, and it just kind of sets in, in place who Jesus is from Jewish, a Jewish point of view. And then we look at, at Luke, and Luke is going into some things about who Jesus is, that He is the Son of Man. And then if you look at the Gospel of John, we know that in John 20, 31, He's talking about this I've written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And by trusting in His name, you'll have eternal life. So we get that out of the book of John. It's that God with us, that He is divine, He's the Messiah in flesh. And so Mark has his purpose as well. As he writes this, and he's really writing to a a Gentile mind, a a Roman mind, and we know that because he uses terminology that explains Jewish thought. John John Mark understands Jewish thought, Peter understands Jewish thought, but he's writing it to a little different mindset. So when we read this, we see some explanation of things that we might not see in some of the other books, some of the other Gospels. And so when we get to Mark chapter 8, Um, Jesus is on this trek, and he's really kind of doing this in the north part of Israel, this trek back and forth across the north part of Israel. He's in Tyre and Sidon, and then he moves to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Then he goes over to the west side of the Sea of Galilee. And in Mark chapter 8, he's back over on the east side, but he's on the northeast side, outside of a little village called Bethsaida. And it's not that he hadn't been there before, but he goes back there. And that's going to be significant because Jesus has already done a mighty work in Bethsaida. And and then this episode happens and we're going to see some terminology that Jesus uses in this passage that indicates why he may have had a different feeling about Bethsaida and the reception of the gospel there. So if you would, would you stand with me as we read Mark chapter 8 starting at verse 22. 
Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him, to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he, Jesus, brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again he laid hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored, and began to see everything clearly. And he said to him, and he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Strange command at the end of this passage. God, I pray that you would open our eyes. Help us to see clearly what you have for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through these these verses. We're going to go through them one by one. And as we go through them, we're going to learn a couple of things, some some prayers that maybe um, would speak to us. Some prayers that maybe we ought to have in mind as Christ followers. So instead of this outline saying, I'm going to fill in this thing, and they're all going to start with the same letter, we're going to look at it from a little different perspective. We're going to come up with three prayers for a Christ follower this morning. And you're not going to find them in your notes. You're going to have to write them down. So I would encourage you to write them, but more than just write them, allow them to be prayers that you actually pray. Because it'll change the way we view not just this passage, but the way we view everything outside of this building. And so verse 22 says, And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus, and implored him, Jesus, to touch him, the blind man. It's pretty interesting. And this is, this is just like other places where we've seen somebody, a group of people or a couple people, bring somebody to Jesus for Jesus to do something. And here, these, this they, this group of people, bring this blind man to Jesus and ask him to touch him. They didn't ask him to heal him, they just said, touch him. But it's interesting that we know very little about the people that actually brought him. It says, they came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man. Well, they came to Bethsaida would be Jesus and his disciples, but they came and brought a blind man to Jesus would be villagers. Likely a group of people, but maybe not a large group of people. Because this man could walk. He could talk. He just couldn't see. And so they grabbed him and they said, you come with us. And they brought him to Jesus. And said, Jesus, would you do something with this man? Would you touch him? And so I want to ask this. As you think about where you've been this week, whether it's been at a job, at a camp, whether it's been to a grocery store, wherever you've been, have you been in a place where you see people through a God-given compassion? These guys came to this blind man and they could see in him this need to be healed and they decided to take the initiative to bring this blind man to Jesus to be touched. And so where have you been this week? Have you had that God-given compassion? Uh, would you say it's true when, when we cease to feel a burden or the weight of the mission of God or for the mission of God, we've lost sight of Jesus' life? You know, when we 
fail to look around us and see that. We've, we've kind of lost sight of what Jesus was about, that he lived, that he died, that he was crucified on our behalf, and then he was risen. We lose sight of that, and we also lose sight of the hope of the gospel. And so these guys understood what it meant to bring somebody to Jesus. And I want to know, do we understand what it means to bring somebody to Jesus? They brought a blind man and implored him to touch him. That word implore means to beg or to entreat. You know, the, the blind man wasn't saying, hey, I need you to heal me. These other guys were coming around and saying, you need to heal this guy. I beg you, please heal him. Please touch him. And we know a little bit about this blind man at this point that at one time he had sight and he does not have sight at this point. And we'll understand that as we go through the, throughout this passage. But they, they begged him. Have you ever been at a grocery store or some other store and you see a, a preschooler and a mom? And they're there right at the edge of the counter and there's the magazines and the candy and the little knickknacks and you've got this child that just won't be quiet? I want this. Can I please have this? And they just beg and beg and beg. Have you seen that? And then what does mom do? She either suffers through it and moves through the line not wanting to pay any more, or she gives in. Right? That's kind of the idea here. These guys weren't willing to give up on this blind man. They just came to him and said, Would you please, please heal him? Would you please heal him? Would you please heal him? I heard you. Please heal him. And they wouldn't stop. And they implored him to, that Jesus would touch him. And this word touch him means two things. It can mean to kindle a fire in somebody, or it could just mean to lay hold of. And so what Jesus does is he lays hold, him, hold of him. And so are we consumed? Are we in a place where we beg for God to touch some, someone? So if I, if I said, who do you know that doesn't know Christ, but you have a burden for them? If I, if I ask you that question, doesn't a name come to mind or some person come to mind for you? And how much time do we spend burdened by the fact that they don't know Christ? Are we in a place where we implore God to touch them? Where we beg, we cry, we weep, we do the things that just drives God to the point where He says, I will do it. Are we passionate about that? The way these guys were passionate about this man receiving his sight. Matthew 9.36 says this, Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion on those around him. We too must have compassion on those around us, because people are lost. They don't know Jesus Christ and they have no hope. So I would like us to first go through the first prayer. The first prayer is this, God, kindle a burden within my heart for the heart of others. God, kindle a burden within my heart for the hearts of others. So let's pray.
Father, we come before you and ask that you would touch us, stir in us a compassion that comes from Father, that we would sense the, the weight of what it means for somebody not to have Christ, and we do. So God, we pray that you would work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 23. Verse 23 says, taking the blind man by the hand, talking about Jesus, Jesus brought him out of the village And after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? As I looked at this, I get kind of weirded out by this this picture I see in this this passage. Jesus takes him by the hand, takes him out of the little fishing village, just outside the, the town. And when he gets next to him, he spits in his eyes. And I'm thinking, that's not a very nice thing to do. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm not even inclined to, to stand close enough to somebody. Like, like I can tell with the lights that there are times when saliva overtakes my mouth and I spit to the front row. Sit at your own risk, right? So, um, yeah, Ozzy's moving back. So I'll just move over here. It's a little safer for you guys. So, but I, but I can see that, and I'm thinking, I don't even like when I stand that close to somebody, and I know that's happening. It's like, I want to get my glasses, you know, put little windshield wipers on, and, and that kind of stuff. I don't want to stand that close, and yet Jesus does it on purpose. He says, he just kind of spits on his eyes, and I'm thinking, that's gross. I, want to, I really don't want to have any part of that. But Jesus does it, and, and, and I started to look up why, and there, there's a couple of reasons that are at least mentioned as to the why for this. The first one, this man had been blind for, for some time. We don't know really how long, we just know he had. And so as he's beginning to see open his eyes, they said one of the things is that saliva provides this lubrication for the eyes. That, that he needed to have, so when he opened his eyes, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt, it wouldn't stick. So that may have been one of the reasons. The other reason was that saliva had a healing property and was often used to place on the eyes to actually heal it over a period of time. Although in this particular case, we know that a period of time just doesn't take place. It's, it's an immediate healing within minutes. And so it's not like Jesus spit on there and said, hey, come back in a month, and let's check and see how the saliva is working. It wasn't really that. But we've got this picture that Jesus is doing something with this guy, and so he spits on his eyes, and then he asks, what do you see? Touches him, and what do you see? And, and the response is, is pretty clear, he, or not so clear. And he looked up, verse 24, and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. So, so he can kind of get an idea of what's out there, and he can tell they're people, but there's not real, a, a real clarity to it. And so if I, if I take off my glasses, and you guys get up and walk around, I, because of where you usually sit, and somewhat of what you're wearing, I can tell whether it's male or female, whether I can tell who moved where. 
a little bit, but if, I'm, if I've not had my sight for a while, and Jesus is in this place, and he sees people moving around, this guy sees people moving around, he can't really tell who they are or what they are, he just tells, can tell that they are people and they are moving. And so that's what this guy is seeing. I, I've been in that spot where I've been on the side of the road, looked out into a field, and even with glasses, I couldn't tell it was people. I thought it was a tractor and some things around a tractor. It was actually a group of people playing volleyball. It was an indication I needed to go to the eye doctor. So, so I've, I've been kind of where this guy was at this particular point. He answered, I see them like trees walking around. So if, if we look at that and just, just ask the question, how well do we see? We can easily identify with this guy who can't see real well, but can see some. I don't know, um, I'm somewhat fearful of deer at night. Um, when we leave here after a meeting or something like that, you know, everybody just be careful, there's deer out. Well, we've seen them in the front lawn of the church and, and things like that. But when I get tired, just about everything looks like a deer. I'll be riding down the road, and I'll see a brown mailbox with a reflector, and I'm thinking, it's a red eye of a deer, and it's a brown deer. And so, you know, you kind of slow way down. It's just not being able to see clearly. Our inability to see clearly changes the way we view people, doesn't it? And we go through this a little bit further. He looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again, he laid hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. That word intently means to be focused, to be able to see with, with clarity. And that word restore means to be brought back to an original state. And that's where we get the idea that this guy had been able to see, could not see, and then when Jesus spits on his eyes and then touches him twice he begins to see clearly and so and i it's interesting that this is a progressive miracle we don't really see progressive miracles in scripture very often we see jesus touching somebody and they immediately become healed or they immediately begin to hear or see or walk but in this case there's a two-stage thing and and I can't tell you exactly why Jesus did it in two stages. I don't think it was that Jesus didn't have the ability to heal him in one shot. I don't think it was that at all. Maybe it was just the, the recognition that God was at work and this guy needed to realize that it was God at work. This restoration takes place in, in two stages. And we, when we look at folks in relation to coming to Christ, do we expect immediate results? I think maybe, maybe Jesus is using this as a growth opportunity for the disciples. Maybe Jesus is encouraging them and saying, guys, this guy's going to see, but, but it's going to be a progression. And maybe us seeing people the way God sees them is a progression, is part of that growth process in us so that we can see men not as trees, but we see them clearly. You see, God's sight is different than our sight. God's sight sees what's on the inside as opposed to what's on the outside. 
And so if we're going to see clearly with the compassion of Christ, we need to be able to see beyond the outside piece to the heart of the matter and really consider them and their relationship to God. Wonder what the disciples thought about this guy. They'd been around Jesus for a while. We really don't know what caused him to be blind. But we really don't know what keeps people away from Jesus either, do we? And sometimes it's the excuse of, I don't want to give something up in my life if I come to Christ. Or, or we may find that somebody just says, I'm going to wait, and I want to come to Christ, but I'm going to wait till I'm on my deathbed. Well, we know that's not a real good plan. We don't, we don't really know why. But, but people, people wait, and the, the question is, do we just sometimes, because of the progression it takes for somebody coming to know Christ, do we just miss the compassion for somebody? Because we either don't think it's warranted, or we not, we're not patient enough for it to take place. What should our response be? See, in this passage, I think Jesus is confirming his identity. Mark, Mark is sharing that Jesus is the Son of God all the way through the Gospel. In fact, it is the key phrase in chapter 15 with the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross when Jesus breathes his last breath. That Roman centurion in 1539 says, this must be the Son of God. It's that phrase that is, that is kind of proclaimed behind the scenes in this particular passage. That Jesus is who He says He is. That He is the Son of God and has the ability to control natural things. And so Jesus restores this man's sight. And here's a question for us. Do we really think that God will do miraculous things around us? I don't think about that very often. I don't, I don't know. It's not that I want to limit God or it's not that I want to box God in. But I just don't think about God doing miraculous things around me when I'm at a grocery store or I'm at a, another store or auto parts or whatever it happens to be. I don't think God's going to do something miraculous when I walk in here. I really don't think about it. Now, now I tend to think about it more if I'm going to the hospital. God, do something miraculous here that only you can do, that physicians can't do, medicine can't do, you do it. So I think about it then, but I don't think about it other places. And that may be lack of, lack of sensitivity on my part for understanding that God does miraculous things all the time. And my eyes and my heart need to be sensitive to God at work and what He's doing. That's my lack. And I'm guessing that, that we go through life, we don't really look for miraculous when we probably ought to. We should be able to see the miracles in the mundane. Where is God at work? What's He doing? What does His love and care for man look like as I go throughout my day? It's interesting. Ed Stetzer wrote something, and he was really talking about small churches, but I'm not sure that it applies to just small churches. I think it applies to any church that claims the name of Christ. He said this, We should see small churches, any, any size, as major intersections where our faithfulness and God's fruitfulness can collide. You hear that? Our faithfulness, God's fruitfulness, us being willing to submit to God and see with God's eyes, 
and then God doing what God only can do, and seeing those two things collide so that we can celebrate and proclaim what God has done? Isn't that what happens here in Mark chapter 8? Is that these guys, the they, that have no identity, get no credit, and here no names, they bring a guy to Jesus that's blind. Jesus touches this guy. He is restored. He gets to see perfectly on the back end of that. It's just their faithfulness and God's fruitfulness bringing something where they collide together and we get to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. Exactly what happens. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19 says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. The second prayer for us. God, help me to see clearly where you are at work and to celebrate the wonder of your power. Help me to see where you're at work and celebrate the wonder of your power. Verse 26. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus heal this man who came, he brought him out of the village? Why would he heal him and then say, Don't go back in? It's, it's not really what he told the Samaritan woman by the well, was it? I mean, she took off and told everybody she knew and brought people back. Wouldn't it seem appropriate for this guy to get healed? They knew he was blind. To go from where Jesus is to go back into the village and say, Look, I can see. I can look. Now you can see. Come on back with me and meet with Jesus. That, you would think, would be appropriate. But Jesus says, don't go back in the village. Just go home. Just go home. You know, there's a couple of thoughts here. And, and maybe it was the, the public nature of Jesus' ministry and crowds. But I don't know that Jesus ever um, purposely sought to hold the gospel back from anybody. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not what it was. I think if we go back and we start looking, we go back a few chapters in the book of Mark, we understand that Jesus had been to Bethsaida and had done healing and, and proclaiming of the gospel in Bethsaida and then came out. And if we go over and we look at Matthew chapter 11, we, we see a little bit more of what may have caused this. Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 12, says this, From the days of John the Baptist, and this is kind of background into this, so, so catch it. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent men take it by force, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? Is it like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance, we sang a dirge and you did not mourn? For John came neither eating or drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man 
came eating and drinking. And they said, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. It was like, whoa, wait a minute. Basically saying, you didn't accept Elijah, you didn't accept John the Baptist, you didn't accept the prophets, you didn't accept Jesus, and he's in front of you. And so verse 20, Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. That's not what you want to hear out of Jesus' mouth. And so maybe the reason that Jesus told this man who was healed not to go back into Bethsaida was Jesus had already proclaimed the gospel. And they did not repent. Here's the, here's the question. Does God ever tire of us not responding to His invitation? In this passage, what we see is we see that there was no repentance and there was actually, they were non-repentant by choice. They were non-repentant by choice. So does God ever tire of us not responding to His invitation to salvation, to witness, to love somebody? So the third prayer, God, please continue in your mercy and guide me to be a messenger of the gospel. See, I'm thinking that when we look at this passage, one of the things that we ought to desire is to be a they. From verse 22, we ought to be a they. Somebody that brings people to Christ. For Jesus to do His work. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, Therefore from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. And then jump down to verse 20. says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's us. We as ambassadors for Christ going to people and saying, Would you please come to know Christ as Savior? Would you please come into the presence of Jesus? Would you please be in that spot where Jesus can touch you and change you and heal you and help you to see and for you to be restored to all that God has chosen for you? All that God wants to do in your life. So this episode in the life of Jesus is about two things. It's about choice. It's also about clarity. Choice and clarity. The choice is to bring, for the they, is to bring the man to Jesus. We also see choice in Jesus' taking the man by the hand and healing him, but also the man, after getting spit on, standing there in submission to Jesus. There was a choice. 
And then in the last verse, the choice to celebrate, but to do it in obedience to what Jesus wanted. The clarity comes in, in this whole idea that Jesus is able to heal and to bring wholeness to somebody's life. Do we have that kind of clarity? It's also clarity in about what we truly care about. Do we truly care about those that are around us that we run across day after day? Or do we just kind of push it aside without sight? And then there's clarity regarding our own faithfulness in the gospel. Who are we? told you that if I take off these glasses that you become very blurry. Some of you are going, yeah, that's good. I put these on, and honestly, at this point, you're still a little blurry. It's, it's been a while since I've been to the eye doctor, except for last week. And so, Deb and I went to the eye doctor. We sat there, and, you know, they do the one, two, is it better, three, four. And then, you know, then now they're all the way up to eight. So, if you, if you can only count the two, you're in trouble. But, but they, they go through this whole process to help you figure out what your eyesight is and and I'm, I'm so looking forward to getting glasses because it means that the back row will not be as, um, you won't be as anonymous as you are right today. But when we were there, they dilated our eyes. I came in Wednesday night after coming, coming home. Um, they, they dilated our eyes and, and my you know, pupils were really big. And they, you know, that's a dangerous place to be. And so what they did is, is they gave me this Styling pair of shades. And they said, if you'll, if you'll put those on, isn't that, that's a fashion statement, right? If you'll put those on, then put your glasses on over it, then you'll be able to drive home, you'll be okay. And so, so that's what I did. I put on the shades, and, and then I put on the glasses, and, and you know, after a while, you never think about it. You just leave them on. And so I went to, went to the gas station, got out, I'm pumping gas, you know. And not, not even paying attention, I'm going, you know, I bet you I look like an idiot. They're not as styling as what the nurses said they would be. But what, but what I think we do is when we pray, God, open my eyes, is he dilates our pupils so that we see what's around us. But because we're fearful of what we'll see, we put these on in an effort to protect ourselves from the truth of the gospel and the and the discomfort it takes to take somebody to Jesus. When really, we ought to just put those things down, soak in all that God has for us, and then respond to God in the way that He wants us to. There's a, there's a story that I want you to hear and see. And so we're going to take about two minutes, and I want you to listen to this audio clip it's from a, a podcast called Nothing is Wasted with Davy Blackburn. And some of you may listen to him on occasion.
I want you to, to hear something. We're going to learn a little bit more of Chris's story, but understand that we can become numb to the mission of God. We can have a head knowledge, but lose the ability to sense with our heart what God may be doing. And that may come out of mistimed circumstances or spiritual drift or lack of discipline, leading to an apathy that keeps us far away from where God's heart is. But it doesn't have to stay that way. You know, things can change. There can be victory in this because if we go through those three prayers and say, God, would you kindle my heart? Would you help me to see and give me a compassion? Would you help me to recognize where you're at work and get in on that? Then, then things can change. And so we may have walked in and said, you know, I'm, when it, we sense the, the work of God or, or just this idea of being compassionate for others, I'm kind of walking in numb, but do I want to stay that way? Here's the rest of the story.
See, we can do what God has asked us to do, what he has enabled us to do. But we have to be submitted to what God wants to do. And our hearts need to see beyond us. To see what God sees. To be that they that can bring folks to Christ. See, His grace is sufficient for us to do everything that He's called us to do. Our job is to be submitted, open, like the blind guy was to Jesus right in front of Him, to be submitted and committed to Him. That will bring the glory and applause of heaven, not just a college gym. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service.